Welcome to Being Church in the Time of COVID, a podcast from Princeton Theological Seminary that engages the experiences and insights of pastors, theologians, and rising ministry leaders during the pandemics of 2020. I'm Sushama Austin Connor, your host. I'm Abigail Visco Russert, co host and co producer. And I'm Garrett Mostowski, your producer. This is one of our bonus episodes where we share the full interview we conducted with the Reverend Dr. Sonia Waters. Assistant Professor of Pastoral Theology at Princeton Theological Seminary. This interview was first featured in our episode entitled Grief, which also features the voices of Pastor Dean Clatter and rising ministry leader Jackie Rodriguez. Dr. Waters shares insights about the importance of funerals, the struggles of conducting funerals in a time of physical distancing, and the tasks that grieving people have to do in order to grieve well. We hope you enjoy this full-length interview with the Reverend Dr. Sonia Waters. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, my name is Sonia Waters. I, I live in Princeton and work at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. I teach pastoral care and uh, pastoral theology here. Wonderful. How long have you been working in pastoral care, pastoral theology, and have you written things that we could turn our audience toward as well? Sure. Uh, uh, well, I've I've been serving at Princeton uh, Seminary for about six years now, uh, uh, but I was ordained an Episcopal priest in 2005. Mm. So uh, I had a little bit of a different experience with uh, parish ministry uh, across the years. Um, my writing's really been focusing on addictions. Uh, so I do have a book, Addiction and Pastoral Care, that's out, and I also have articles mostly on addiction. Uh, uh, Mostly I'm concerned to address mental health issues as they intersect with personal and social pain. That's probably um, where I like to live when I can. Well, that's interesting, especially with mental health issues and personal and social pain, given that this the topic for this whole podcast is this pandemic, <laughs> which has yes. thrown people <laughs> into the throes of what does it look like to be working on my mental health in the midst of a pandemic when maybe I've lost my job or exactly. Um, and then mm -hmm. social pain. I mean, wow. Okay. The trails so we much. can go down. I know, right? <laughs> we could, we could be talking for hours. We yes, really a lot. Truly could. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, um, one layer of, you know, pain that people experience in social settings is obviously the loss of a loved one. And mm. The story that is framing this episode is about um, a funeral. And, you know, speaking from your experience as a priest and also your experience as an academic, um, can you talk to us about what, what is a funeral? And as you talk about it, what's significant about Christian funerals and maybe mm. Christian grieving practices? You know, that's a really good question because it's, it, it is definitely changing. Um, especially in sort of a, in a post-Christian world, um, and and obviously we also serve non-Christians. Um, uh, we it's the uh, when I was a young priest, I was taught that it's the uh, uh, the, the priest's duty to bury the dead, uh, no matter what, right? So we have a duty to care for the bodies of those who have passed. But but for Christians, particularly, um, gosh, if I could just summarize it easily. Um, Really, the funeral is the final act of commending the body and soul of a person to God's care, right? So it's it's sort of a, almost a repetition of baptism in some ways. We die and are born to new life. Uh, and indeed, we die in the body and we're born to new life uh, with Jesus. So our lives are not ended but changed. 
So we use uh, funerals as a ritual transitional space. Uh, the person leaves our earthly company, um, but they take their place with the company of the saints. Um, traditionally, um, uh, you know, bodies matter for us as Christians. Uh, they should. Uh, our hope is in the bodily resurrection. We believe in the incarnation of Jesus and the creation is good. And so bodies also matter what we do with bodies um, in funerals. Um, yeah, and so funerals are also, of course, because we are a family of the church, we draw around the grieving to help them remember and grieve together. Uh, but, of course, it's not only Christians we serve. Uh, what we're finding in funeral practices, of course, is a big shift where funerals are now more about remembering the person than proclaiming the faith. And so uh, remembering the person's hobbies and interests are folded into the celebration Sometimes in funerals, pastors are struggling with uh, uh, people who also do not want to grieve. Um, we read poems about how do not grieve. I am not really dead, but I'm still alive in the sunlight or alive in your memory. Or, um, and so pastors have some uh, negotiations to do about um, uh, uh, how, they, how they make a, a funeral these days. They're a little bit different than maybe even 20 years ago. In my pastoral ministry, it, in just sh a short five years that I was in a congregation, so many requests for poems that seem to want to push us away from grief, from talking about yeah. it, from experiencing pain. Mm, um, it's hard. And I'll, I'll ask this question, and then after this, I'll kick it over to you, Sushama. Um, you know, what? <laughs> why is grief important? <laughs> why, is <it> <laughs> why should we grieve? Um, why is it, we, why is it not ideal to push it away? You know, it is not ideal. Well, cause we're human beings. And indeed this is one of, it's part of our emotional makeup. You can't, you can't escape the Psalms without finding grief. Um, but we, we also want to be careful here in terms of a different cultures grieve differently. Uh, some grieve very, in very emotional ways and some in very quiet ways. So we have to be careful. People will grieve differently, but is there a place for some kind of form of, of grief to take place depending on our context and cultures? Um, grief is really important, uh, because if we deny our grief, then we really, we, we, we deny God a place to come in and, and touch our hearts. And, and we, and we deny other people, uh, because we are made to be the body of Christ who can bear our rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, right? So, um, it, it, it is part of our Christian, um, tradition to draw close to people and love them through grief. So that's another reason why it's important as Christians. I'm torn when I go sometimes to funerals, um, and they go straight to celebration of life. Mm -hmm. And the family or the friends or the whole group of people have to like go to a place before they're even able to cry where we're like joyful for their life. And like, you know, yeah. that, that I'm wondering what you think about even the phrasing of celebration of life and then also just what it does to us to go there before we're able to, to grieve in whatever way we grieve, but before we're actually able to grieve. It's interesting, you know, I mean, I've had some, some of my parishioners want celebration of life language, but in the end, they chose pretty much the old liturgy. And so for some reason, um, you know, people, we kind of negotiate with people and figure out what they really mean, you know, when we're planning a funeral. Um, uh, so sometimes they can use the words, but really the, there's plenty of room for grief in the actual service. But it does become a prom problematic, Sashama, when people um, are unable to grieve. Um, it, it, it's a funny thing. It's, it's, um, it's uh, America is a place that likes to avoid its pain. 
we really do. Well, that's why. That's why the, the back to my other subject of expertise. Why we're the largest consumers of opioid medications, <laughs> right? We like to avoid our pain, um, and we don't actually in, in a like a hyper individualistic society. We many of us, not every culture in America, but many of us don't know how to show emotions in front of people, and and when we do, uh, people don't know how to respond. Uh, it's an interesting kind of cultural uh, issue for some congregations to think about. Um, how do we teach people how to respond appropriately to other people's emotional states? I mean, we, we have a lot that we can teach people that we're, um, uh, we're not learning uh, in, in our broader culture anymore. Um, but, but I agree it's difficult. And, and um, it, it's almost as if do we not understand that in, in the ambiguity of our humanity, we hold both grief and joy at exactly the same time. Hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the best funerals I go to is when people are laughing and crying at exactly the same time because they're telling stories, you know, and they're missing them. And, um, we get a lot of anxiety about letting people kind of feel. It strikes me, I want to go back to another thing you said about bodies mattering. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> and so much right now. Sorry, yeah. I know. Oh my God. That's oh my so gosh. much. Absolutely. That, that feels so loaded and I can't wait to hear more, but keep going. No, <laughs> absolutely. It feels loaded on, yeah. for so many angles yes. and reasons. So I'm going to start with the with the COVID nineteen angle. Yes. First, well, and even like backtracking all go pre pre mm-hmm. they all do amen. And it, pre that, you know, before COVID was in our social consciousness, you know, in Northern Italy, the practice has been to just um, cremate everybody. And mm-hmm. I know there's debate inside of Christian circles. It's not a very lively debate <laughs> right now not if you're anymore, on if you're yeah. on the ground, right? Um, mm-hmm. About whether or not should we have a funeral? Should we do a memorial service? You know, why? What's important about having a body here? Um, oh, I, I don't like the idea of having a body here. Or oh no, mom wanted to be cremated. I mean, why do bodies mm-hmm. matter? How does that intersect with our funeral practices? And then. Yeah, and then we can jump off from there. Oh gosh, well, you know, an interesting an interesting theory is is that we uh, our, our bodies in death are treated as they are in life. Uh, so when you think about an old fashioned uh, way of doing funerals, is that you have a, a cemetery at the center of the community mm. uh, uh, where the bodies are, uh, and uh, and you also have in that cemetery, unfortunately, also social class already represented. If you think about our cemetery in Princeton, there is a quote unquote kind of African-American side of the cemetery with almost no headstones. Uh, and then we have um, the, 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 the big names, um, uh, both in our nation and at the university and at Princeton Seminary, where that have big headstones, you know? And so, uh, so we even enact social realities in how we, we bury our dead. Um, so it's something to think about how bodies, uh, bodies indeed matter. Um, uh, at, at death, uh, th- there was a big push by by a, a Dr. Long, Dr. Thomas Long, I think was uh, um, uh, in Emory, I believe, uh, about the importance of bodies at th- actual bodies at funerals. That we've lost connection, and indeed we have, um, with um, taking care of a body, bringing a body into holy space, and then walking with that body to their last resting places. And that these actions are about us um, being connected to cycles of life and death, um, the, the, the cycles of, of, of the Christian story of embodiment, life and death, and, and, and bodily resurrection, and that we've lost a lot of those connections by losing bodies. 
but you also have to think in a in a in a hyper individualistic social media kind of uh, neoliberal world. If you want to put the big words in there, um, we've 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 lost our understanding for caring for each other's bodies, mm. uh, and that care is a big as as we as we well know a big a big issue in, in Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. and that's uh, and a big issue about not not caring about black bodies, um, and and it is also an issue of not caring for people who are now expendable because of age, you know, they no longer mm-hmm. matter anymore. Uh, there's also psychological issues you know, with family. I can't deal with bodies. I can't face them. But some of the issue with that is in, it's a bit harder to grieve if people kind of, uh, if you can't say your last goodbyes. Now that's a debate. Uh, that, that, that's a big debate. Um, whether or not one can, um, I mean, how do you tactilely, um, say goodbye to nothing. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. and this becomes an issue with COVID and these funerals online. Uh, is there a way to um, have something physical there that represents the body, even if you cannot be with the body? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of losses. So uh, it, I'm kind of wondering if, if, COVID, if the COVID situation will, will make us realize how, how much we need our bodies. Um, because people are finding they can't be with their loved ones at the hospital. They have to say goodbye, say their final goodbyes before their loved one has died and they're not allowed back in. They get one visit, you know, um, in, in terms of whether or not bodies are, 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 um, ashes or full, uh, uh, still, um, uh, intact. Um, that's also a, a huge debate. Um, but if there's nothing, um, uh, that might be even harder. Uh, to be able to sort of let go and allow this transition, this ritual transition to take place. I don't know if I'm answering all your questions, but, but this is sort of the direction that I'm, that I'm thinking about. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, one thing that uh, ashes are interesting. I try to encourage people. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, I definitely am, am approve of, of, of uh, cremation. Um, but um, I do try to encourage people to do something with the ashes hmm. Because uh, what might happen is, is there's an elongation process. Uh, you you don't just bury the dead um, and the, and mourn. You hold on to the ashes, um, and, and that seems at first like a loving thing to do. But what happens instead, uh, frankly, is that uh, I have gone to churches um, uh, and and found um, ashes in uh, the filing cabinet, ashes on the shelf. Um, ashes. People have found ashes in in when they bought houses in in their in their garages. People get lost. Wow. Mm-hmm. People get lost when they're not given a final resting place. You know, so that is also an issue. It one thing that came up in the story of the pastor we spoke with mm. is that when you have this. <laughs> really bodies matter. And when you have the bodies, even of the grievers behind mm-hmm. doors, right? Yes, what is the shape of your pastoral care mm. for the grieving? Um, yeah. I'm curious as to what you would, you would reflect on for us around that. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I can give you my initial thoughts, but I, and I also want to definitely say to pastors out there, gosh, you are doing, you know, you know, you've been doing this for years, you know, uh, um, I, I don't know that I am 
any better than uh, than what you have to offer, but I can certainly add my two cents into that. Um, and, and I think people uh, people uh, tend to know that we need to somehow kind of name and validate the loss, um, and and that we need to help people tell the story, uh, and find ways to materialize the loss. Um, uh, we, we, we always need to help people identify coping skills moving forward, um, share times of memory moving forward, uh, share pictures or items of importance moving forward as people grieve. Um, uh, but when we've lost uh, the ability, it's not even just losing the body. Psychologically, if I don't see you, I can't read you. You know, so even if I'm zooming, um, I don't get the micro communication. I don't see your face move. I don't I don't I can't tell what's happening with your eyes. And, and this is how we empathize with somebody. It's by our by our body language and our facial uh, language. And so we lose that connection. And that means that pastors have to really uh, do a lot more work to verbalize hmm. what what they before could could um, could uh, ex- express in their bodies, just in their presence. Um, and so, uh, if, if I can't sit next to you in silence then I have to be able to kind of remember to verbalize, um, how much I'm here for you, how much I feel for you. It seems like you're feeling this certain way. Do you want to talk about it? Um, uh, because you can't just sort of like every pastor knows you go to somebody's, you go to somebody's living room and you just sit there. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. That's how you grieve. That's how you really grieve. And you just, the conversation comes and goes. There's sometimes laughter, sometimes tears. And you, mm. they show you pictures. They show you, you know, important medals the person won or, or, you know, what, you know, their hobbies. You just sit there. All of that is lost. Yeah. Uh, and so if a pastor kind of draws from their, their knowledge already about what they do when they see people, and then how do I translate that now? more explicitly within the mediums that I have. Like, so the kind of connection, the kind of questions like, okay, I need to connect, I need to ground, I need to honor lived experience. So then how do I do, if those are my goals, then how do I do this in this new medium? Uh, But yeah, it's a loss. Naming that loss with the person is probably also a good idea. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know, uh, and asking them what would work for them. Um, I'm always a fan of, you know, we're not the experts on people's lives. They'll tell us sometimes. They can tell us too. Um, So I don't know if that helps at all, but I I know there are so many talented pastors with so many different ways of doing it. And just think about the things that the end result of what you naturally do, connect, ground, honor, love, support, you know, whatever it is. And then how now in, in, in interesting, creative ways can you reach those those same goals. Dr. Waters, I want to uh, follow up on kind of this grieving and grief process, but I wonder if you can talk about the pastor as a person in the process of grieving. Uh, um, mm-hmm. When I've done a couple funerals here to people I've been kind of close to, I, I find myself, you know, choking up and sort of taking on the the broader feelings maybe of mm-hmm. the community that's gathered. Um so I wonder if you just speak a little bit to that, what it's what it's like as a pastor to grieve alongside those people and maybe what the role of the pastor is in all of that. Yeah, um, it's huge. Uh, it, it's it, it, on an average day we, when we love our people and walk with them uh, through these, these moments of, of loss and grief, uh, there's a combination of both 
of both beauty and suffering that we take in. Um, uh, it's not, we always have to be careful that it's not like happening, uh, it's not being done to us, you know, so in terms of our emotional regulation, you know, it's like, okay, this is not my life, it is their life. And yet it's also partly my life. Uh, because I love them and I care for them. And so um, well, we carry uh, all of that beauty and pain. Um, and the first thing that I, that I often tell my students, because I feel it so profoundly myself, is that I am privileged to carry that. I mean, I get let into people's lives in ways that very few people do. Amen. Uh, and so it, it's quite a privilege. And yet with that privilege, um, we get um, uh, what is sometimes called stacked grief or disenfranchised grief. Um, and what that means is that we get grief that people don't notice and don't care for. Not that they don't care for, but um, uh, they uh, since they come to us for help, <laughs> um, uh, uh, and, and because that is our role, um, we, uh, um, we don't necessarily have a place to say how much I loved that person how much they mean to me. So we don't grieve in the same way because we're not family members. And yet these people can be like family to us. And um, we can really feel that pain and not know what to do with it. Um, we also get stacked grief. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 right, the, the superstition is this happens in threes, right? Um, uh, so, so, so we are dealing with one death while we're finding out that another beloved uh, congregant is um, getting a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. while we're, while our, our own kids are having a hard time at school, while, you know, um, the news is making us crazy, right? So we have, so we have stacked grief as well, um, uh, and, and we're carrying multiple loads. Uh, so so um, it, is, it is a beautiful thing for us to mourn with people, uh, and we're always just a little bit careful with that process that, that they don't start needing to take care of us and therefore um, stop grieving themselves. So there's an interesting kind of balance there between, you know, yes, we should, I mean, not we should, but if we do, then it's, you know, we, we tear up, um, our voices break, um, and people feel our love for them and our grief with them. Um, and yet at the same time, there's a certain amount of control that we have to have that they don't because we're leading a liturgy Mm. and because we are the ones, we are the containers that, that are holding grief. And then we need to find other containers to hold our grief. Um, so that can be that can be a really interesting challenge. I mean, I, I've I've been in many situations where I've teared up, and I, I don't see any problem with that. Uh, but the the problem would be that if I couldn't still lead worship, um, then people would start taking care of me. And as soon as they do, you'll notice they cut off their own grief. They stop. Then they're like, oh, are you okay, Pastor? Are you okay? You know, so if, if, if they can grieve with us, it's beautiful, but we just got to watch out for that tendency that they might stop grieving and take care of us. Um, so always a little bit careful. It's also important for pastors to know in general right now uh, with COVID, um, uh, with the national, with the world on fire um, and all of our protests, um, with um, all, of, all the deaths and sicknesses we're dealing with, is that um, because we're functioning um, in leadership roles, uh, it, it can also mean that we compartmentalize or cut off our own grief. And when we do that, it will come out in unfortunate ways uh, that we don't want it to come out. Uh, we're going to get, um, we're going to feel distant from our loved ones. We're going to be irritable with our partners. We're going to be mad at our kids. Uh, we're going to cut off emotionally from, from people 
or we're going to act out in unfortunate ways, which is, of course, my other favorite subject, <laughs> into escapist kind of behaviors. <laughs> so so um, uh, if we imagine that uh, grief is like a liquid, it has to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so which, uh, which container will hold it uh, the best for us? Mm-hmm. And then how do we dissipate it back into the earth at some point mm-hmm. as we go? Um, so I, I hope that was not too long, <laughs> but those are some of my thoughts. That was great. I am that also a preacher. <laughs> we love it. Preach. I could just, I could just keep going. I just, we love it. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, it's so good. We, we also have a chat going, Professor Waterstone. I want to make sure oh, I, ha- I have okay. a follow-up. I have a follow-up question, but I know that they have a couple things. Do you want me to go ahead folks or just yeah go ahead we can go come ahead. back to okay yeah. go on yeah yeah we have so we have so much so um so i'm gonna ask you quickly to you've sort of touched on it but to go um more deeply into some of the important markers of the grieving process so for example um mm. stages of grief um, the stages of grief for families the stages of grief for pastors you talked a little bit about but i'm wondering too if you could open that up to talk about maybe this moment that we're in in the stages of grief mm. um, and the and the sort of being a container for grief that we are as a culture right now and how we are and are not healthy and how we're grieving as a society. Mm. That's a lot, mm. I know, but take any of it or all of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, all. Run Run with all. it. Yeah. Run with it. <laughs> all right, everybody, put your seatbelts on. <laughs> Here we go. Oh my God. There are things we're not doing well. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, you know, there's always, uh, I mean, everybody loves the Kubler-Ross. Uh, the, the, the one difficulty with these kinds of ideas, indeed, we have, uh, we have bargaining, we have denial, we have rage, we have these things. Uh, this is true. Um, uh, but they sort of, it's sort of out of context of the fact that I'm going to have a lot more rage if I'm an African-American person in this society being abused, you know, and that's not going to be an unhealthy process. That's going to be something you should probably keep. And maybe white people need to get a bit more angry, you know, so that, so, uh, so the stages of grief can be difficult if we apply them, um, uh, to all situations, right? Um, so uh, rather than um, imagining that people go through stages, imagining uh, perhaps they have some tasks to do. Um, uh, one um, popular one is called the um, six R's, as in R, R as in recognizing. Um, so, uh, so one R is recognizing um, the reality of the loss, and, and that means it's just really important to kind of people are sometimes in disbelief that somebody has passed. Um, and so recognizing and accepting that somebody has died is, is part of this. Um, and then it's, it's the, it's the emotional processing stage of reacting, reacting to experiencing, um, expressing the pain of the loss uh, and then there is also reminiscing. You notice these are the two things that kind of are intention in the funeral, right? There's the reminiscing as well. People uh, need to remember their loved ones, uh, and they need to have somebody hear hear those stories um, uh, about them. Um, and if you think about that culturally, this is why saying somebody's name is important. Mm. We have to say George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmed Arbery. We have to say the names. 
because we uh, we, uh, we we don't grieve uh, without context, without uh, a real person behind that. Uh, the uh, the next R is to relinquish old attachments, um, and this is a uh, this is a, a controversial one. Um, I might rather think about reintegrating than relinquishing. We don't um, um, we don't uh, lose our loved ones, but we do integrate them into our lives in different ways once they have gone. Um, especially if you're a Christian, um, you 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 know that. Um, this is one more chapter in their in, in their in their eternal lives, um, uh, and so we don't necessarily relinquish the old attachments, but we do have to reintegrate them differently, um, so that we can make room, uh, so they can become part of our lives, uh, but not overcome us. That gets to the next one: readjusting and reinvesting in life. Um, uh, uh, this this can be one of the reasons why. Um, uh, anniversary dates are important for people. Um, uh, if you talk to people, what you'll find is what they need to talk about is the fact, uh, we need to ask, how is it to be at home? Um, how is it to live your life without this person? Because they find that they, simple things, I wake up in the morning and, and they're not making me coffee. Um, I, 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 I leave my house and I turn to say goodbye and there's nobody there. Right. So we have to understand that grief is... Um, uh, is not just uh, some kind of like I've I've lost something that it's some kind of object, but instead I've lost a thousand different pieces of relationship, a thousand different patterns that have situated situated me um, into the world in relation to this person, um, and, and all of those uh, uh, are experienced differently over time by different people. Um, so those are the R's. Um, um, it's a bit cumbersome. So probably another easier one is 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 tasks. Um, we acknowledge we we just at some point we need to acknowledge the reality of the loss. We need to process the grief and pain, adjust to the world without our loved one, and then find some kind of connection with the deceased in the midst of a new life. Uh, this is going to be different for different people. It's much more difficult, if, again, if we don't have a body. So people who lose a people to military casualties um, and, 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 um, and don't have a body, people, um, uh, people who disappear um, and, and you don't have a body. Um, so uh, uh, at, the, at the World Trade Center collapse, it was so important that, that something was found. Um, even if it was a ring or a piece of any piece of jewelry or something, um, because they lost they they lost the actual a physical uh, reminder of people, uh, and so and this is a very interesting um, this visualization importance is very interesting in in, um, in in the Black Lives Matter movement. They know how important it is to have pictures of individuals who have been shot or died violently. Um, uh, they know how important it is to have names. They know how important it is to, to paint murals, um, uh, that human beings in their particularity, um, and in their bodies, um, matter and, to, and, and we can intellectualize it or brush it off or pretend it doesn't happen if those, if we don't see it in some way, if it's not physical in some way. And so this becomes very important to us, um. Uh, culturally, and that's also culturally why people, um, you know, if if you are helping somebody grieve, uh, people often want to do something, uh, plant a tree, uh, make a shrine, um, uh, uh, light a candle, um, 
uh, save items of clothing, uh, um, uh, make, make educational funds for people. Uh, there was recently a very tragic death in my spouse's congregation um, of, of, a, of, a, of a young girl um, who died of an asthma attack. Um, and, the, and one of the things that the congregation did is, and, and the whole community, because she was involved in like a martial arts program and in the schools and, and in um, uh, Girl Scout program, is that the tree outside of the church became the place that everybody decorated. Um, and, and, and student groups and, and children and local children and the church and the families came and decorated that tree for her, uh, for that child. Um, and, they, and, and they changed decorations by season. They added things for Valentine's Day and they added things. Was it Valentine's Day? No, it was, I think it was later than that. They added things. No, yes. It went through a whole year of seasons where people added different, um, different things to that tree. And it's still hanging there. Things are still hanging off that tree today. Um, uh, um, I have dealt with a, a suicide of a, of a father. And, and then the children never got to see the father because the manner in which they di- he died. Um, and, and then he was cremated, and so the children drew pictures, and and so in in into the cre- into the cremation slot, we we put the children's pictures, and we put um, mementos as well, because the child the children could not um, uh, do anything else physical um, to, to to mark that transition. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if this I, I am now on a tangent. I don't know if that is helpful. <laughs> It's so helpful. Yeah, it really is. It's so helpful. It's so, yeah. One thing you, you mentioned that reminded me of just the symbol of seeing, seeing the bodies that matter, see, show, mm. proving that the bodies matter. And I'm thinking mm. of Emmett Till's mother, Mammy Till, mm. f- making sure that that corpse in all of its gore was seen and how important was seen. Oh, it mm. was so important. I mean that, I think that I saw that image in my early before I was 10, I think, and it stayed in my memory yeah. uh, like so many people's. And I'm thinking too, of what you'd said. So that symbol and that the understanding yeah. of activists that how important those symbols are yeah, and those yeah. bodies, not I don't, symbols actually disassociates a little bit, but like the, how important mm. those bodies are to be seen. Um, I wonder how do we grieve when we see like when you see an execution like George Floyd's um, mm. and you see you see a body actually being murdered um, for all intents and purposes on tape, how we grieve. I, I'm interested in your ideas around like societies grieving some lives and not grieving others. You know, the Princeton Cemetery has headstones for some, but not for others. Um, how, how do we get better as a society in our grieving? You know, and I wonder if you, I've been wanting to ask someone this about this idea, George Floyd, as he's being um, killed, yells out for his dead mother. Yeah. So you yeah, but, and, yeah, but, yeah. when I when I think about it, Professor Waters, yeah. that it actually makes me weepy. So I'm gonna go ahead yeah, and let you ask yeah, the question. Yeah. But the fact that we're watching this bo- this person die, it becomes a body mm. before us, and in the moment mm. of his death, is calling out for his dead mother. Mm. And how how we as a society can't grieve can't grieve this man's death as a whole. Uh, uh, I, I, my first thought is um, that. Uh, concepts of grieving may even be too small of a category of interrogation. Um, It is not that we can't grieve. It is actually um, uh, a part of systemic racism 
um, that that grieving is denied. Wow. Right. So uh, it, it's a it's a huge part of systemic racism that that society and, and individuals in society, I will hurt you. And then I will be uh, like this is psychological warfare. Um, I will be a non empathic presence while you hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 you will desire me to see your grief because things become real as we hold them together psychically. So if you have an experience of suffering and you don't find uh, a commu- an empathic community who holds your testimony and holds your reality, mm. you begin to you begin to cut it off from yourself. You begin uh, right, and then you internalize it. So, is this and this is why the Black Church has been uh, such so important uh, because it has constantly fought against this um, this non empathic uh, social body that has denied uh, the grief and the dignity uh, of African American bodies and life experience. So, so we purposefully, as a society, as a white supremacist society, don't grieve. Um, because indeed to grieve would be to be culpable, to grieve would be to be responsible, but also uh, because uh, it would be ennobling uh, for this body if we grieved it the way we should. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so um, I can, uh, uh, well, well, uh, society can, and I as a white person uh, can, can participate in it, um, uh, can further disempower uh, um, uh, African-American communities by refusing to see your reality, uh, refusing to grieve, um, uh, uh, and to dismiss uh, the seriousness of the grief. Um, and so it's a kind of a psychological warfare that we don't, um, uh, we don't really examine. Um, and gr- indeed, grieving is so important that to deny it is dangerous and painful and disempowering. Um, while we'll give kind of uh, amazing, uh, uh, amazing um, kinds of burials for the important people, mm-hmm. we will deny the the unimportant and the less than human. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is again, I mean, my, I mean, the priest who told me this was right. It is a Christian duty to bury the dead. Mm-hmm. It is a Christian duty to walk with people in grief, mm-hmm. um, because in in the uh, in the Christian tradition, bodies matter. Um, uh, and so if we deny, if we deny, um, uh, black bodies and we are, uh, we, we are, this is a problematic to our faith. It's problematic to our faith. Um, because we, we believe so much in that all are created by God. Um, and that God comes in a body and lives in a flesh to touch human bodies who are suffering and who are oppressed. And then how can we, how can we then deny the grief, um, of other bodies? Uh, so um, I think that would be the cultural kind of aspect, uh, that, uh, as I would understand it. Going back to what you talked about when you were bringing up disenfranchised grief and then also stacked grief, I'm yeah. thinking about two pandemics, <laughs> and mm. I'm thinking about the stacked grief that is especially. Um, seen in communities of color who are dealing with just an incredible amount of death from COVID. And then in, mm-hmm. in the midst of cities on fire, you know, I'm, how do we, <laughs> how do we actually pastor the pastors who are experiencing this stacked grief right now? Mm. 
Well, I mean, first of all, I'm going to, I'm just going to, is going to name the fact that I'm a, a white priest in a lot of privilege. And so I think you need to ask them, mm. um, how, what, what they need, uh, um, it, for those who are um, in the trenches in communities that, um, are dealing with these kinds of multiple, um, uh, stacked griefs. Uh, um, uh, uh, so I, I just want to honor the fact that what I say, I say as, as, um, as a white person who's, you know, has, is, is part of the system. Um, but, uh, but, 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 but with that, uh, one of the things that we can sort of think about um, in terms of pastors needs again, Oh wait, yeah. Pastors needs, you know, it's, it's pastors are going to be going through, I assume their own helplessness and rage. Um, do, do they have places to put that? Um, do they have, uh, do they have, what I often tell my students is you need one place, one safe place. You can be really immature. <laughs> you, have, you need one place where you can call them all jerks or use whatever language you so desire. You need one place where you can really let out your, your id and just be really like, I am done. I am done with the world. I am done with people. I am done with my parishioners. I am done with it all. Mm-hmm. Like you need a place where you can be truly human in, in, in the depths of your need. Um, I, I can't say what that place is for each person. It may just be one mentor or one colleague. It may be a group uh, of people who you can get real with. Um, but we need that. It's also an important time to know our limitations. Um, uh, 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 I can't speak to African-American pastors. They're, they're, they're more than well aware that they're in this for the long, that they've been in this for all of their lives <laughs> and, and, and they continue in it. Um, you know, um, but, but, but I do know that for all of us indeed, um, that, uh, um, knowing our limits, knowing when we can be in the game and when we cannot be in, in the game, um, is, is important, um, uh, watching those feelings of helplessness and anxiety that we're feeling right now, uh, so so that we uh, so that we uh, manage them without having them manage us, um, uh, and that that looks different for different people's coping skills. Um, uh, but it uh, uh, but, but right now we have sort of the added thing with like that everybody wants to open now, mm-hmm. um, you know. So there's there's just so much tension. And it's like, you know, frankly, from like a, from like a 12 step uh, model, one day at a time, uh, you can, uh, we cannot control tomorrow. We can only control today. So in every day, make the best decisions you can, the next right thing decisions you can make today, um, until tomorrow comes. But it's, uh, but it's, it's not just a stacking of grief, but the stacking of stress, um, uh, that, 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 that's really hard for pastors right now. I don't think I answered your question well, but that's kind of, but, but I, I, I'm also concerned not to, not to colonize spaces that are not mine. I think, um, just as a follow-up too, you know, we've talked and, and kind of, you've touched on this really, the, the need for people to grieve, the presence of rage the acknowledgement of rage and mm-hmm. how important that is to a grieving process. And so I want to also kind of take us into the protest conversation. Can you draw some lines on a map for us between protest and grief and pastoral care? Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, all right. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
like, uh, I need an A after. I want an A. I want an A. I'm, I'm, I'm going for the A. I'm I going know. For the a. <laughs> easy question. It's going to be yeah. totally easy. It's yeah. going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be so nuanced. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 so, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, why is protest great? Because you're doing something. Mm. Um, uh, and we need to do something with our bodies. Here we go again. We need to do something. Um, it's, it's important to protest. Of course, there's a lot going on on social media that will say, okay, white people, thank you for your Facebook photos of you protesting. Now actually change systems, please. Right. Um, so there is also that, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, but protest, uh, is a good, uh, first, um, uh, first step. Uh, and it's been it's been powerful uh, to be at them, and it's been powerful to see them uh, continue. Um, so uh, so it, it, it's important for us to uh, put our bodies where our mouths are, um, and and to uh, to do things. Uh, there are other things that we can do that are protest oriented in terms of contacting our our senators and our governors and all those things and voting. Um, uh, and trying to change uh, many unjust systems, um, and 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 be uh, advocates uh, in our communities and in places where we work. So all of all of that um, is is an important is important. So we're thinking about things like grief, but also things um, that that kind of free floating anxiety that we have now. Um, because we have no clue when, when we're opening and whether it's safe to open. Uh, we have no clue uh, if these protests are going to do anything and whether or not we're going to see justice. And we're triggered constantly by the national conversation. We could just leave it at that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so there's a lot of our anxiety that's also rising. So when our anxiety rises, um, little acts of mastery, like going on a protest, can help. You know, uh, calling our senator can help. We're doing something. We're, we're having we're having some kind. We're not just living in a vacuum with our feelings, uh, uh, because that can be uh, um, that they can prey upon us uh, when we do that. Um, and so, so protests can be um, absolutely a way to both grieve and also to gain some sense of action um, when so much feels so very helpless. Um, and so uh, if you're thinking about stopping protesting because it doesn't seem to change, indeed, those feelings of helplessness can feel better if you go protest. So, so definitely continue on your protests, um, uh, but also uh, consider um uh, uh, doing some other political acts that, that might change systems. It can be easier to protest and it can be to kind of correct a neighbor who's saying something that is perhaps incorrect about um, African-Americans or um, Latinx people or Asian-Americans. You know, it might be, it might get us more social capital to protest than to kind of confront our neighbor, uh, you know. And um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's some truth that protest is not everything. But indeed, um, it, it, it is a good start. Uh, but uh, but also, let's let's name the reality for a lot of uh, white congregations uh, and also uh, congregations who have uh, um, uh, um, multiple uh, um, uh, demographics or, or, or mixed demographics, and that is is that we could have we could be pastoring to people with two entirely different views of what's happening in our national com- uh, conversation. Now, this can cause a lot of stress for us. Uh, to sort of see how we can manage that kind of um, uh, diversity in our own congregation. Um, uh, we can feel a lot of rage and not know what to do with it. 
Um, uh, frankly, I, um, again, because of my other work is addictions, I really encourage you to exercise, move your body, do yoga, uh, work out. Um, uh, I don't know, scream, yell, do some primal screaming. Be in your body. Uh, do, to be in do, your do body. So, yeah. and, and it's not even, yeah, I mean, it's not even like I'm not just being a, a creepy white girl. I mean, I mean it because... <laughs> Uh, you know, oh, let's just do some yoga. It'll all be better, right? Kumbaya. But uh, but actually, it's it's true that um, uh, you know, just neurobiologically, just sort of in terms of our our nervous system, when our anxiety goes up, um, we uh, we release adrenaline, we release release endorphins, we release cortisol into our system, and so you can be feeling horribly anxious all day long and not really know why, and it's because your your threat detector is up. It's because you're anxious and really um you could talk about it but you could also just take a run uh and and start to work that those chemicals back out of your system turn on your parasympathetic nervous system calm yourself down so it sounds kind of simple but um actually um uh, our 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 emotions are often a result of our central nervous system and so um uh, and if, if you are lucky enough to, to be quarantined with friends or family, um, a lot of touch is important. A lot of, a lot of uh, physical affection um, also helps turn on your parasympathetic nervous system. And that's also what we're losing um, uh, at church. You know, I mean, church has a big role in, in calming our bodies down just by gathering. Mm. Um, so this is hard times. These are really hard times. So... Um, I think, I think I've depressed you all, but the good news is, the good news is, is that everybody out there is doing, you know, wonderful work. It's just, you are so needed pastors. You are so needed. If you ever doubted it, you're needed even more. Now you're going to do things in a different way, but my goodness, are you needed? Um, you know, I mean, you have a, you have a pulpit, you have reconciliation power, you have power to give the Christian message in beautiful ways to those grieving and and suffering. You are so needed, but it's going to look a little different and that's hard. It's a loss that we have to, that we have to hold. Garrett, can you ask that? question that you just texted me <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> back to our little chat yeah. uh, dr waters i'm wondering um what does it mean that that god has us grieve i'm wondering if you could just speak theologically uh you know in and out of all of this that we've been talking about what does it mean that that god would have us go through that process that we would experience and feel these things Oh my goodness! Why would we not want to? But yes, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Um, uh, it is. It is. Uh, it is both the gift and the challenge of our our human fragility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that we uh, we both feel joy, uh, and we also feel sorrow. Um, uh, uh, the, the 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 beautiful thing about it, uh, central to our Christian faith, is that we're not meant to do those alone. We do those with our with our family in Christ. Um, but we also see throughout Scripture, um, throughout our Hebrew Scriptures, uh, how powerful um, human emotions are. I mean, uh, the uh, I mean, I, I, I know that I'm biased because I'm and I do pastoral theology, but it's a really psychological book. Nobody wants to talk about that fact. This is a really psychological book, and not only do we have this beautiful opportunity that our God is the kind of God that we bring all of our emotions to. 
And you see that throughout the book. Uh, uh, you see it in the Psalms, obviously, Psalms of lament, but also Psalms that we don't like, like Psalms of violence. Mm-hmm. Like uh, as, as, as good Western people, we like to pretend like we don't have those feelings. Mm-hmm. But the, the Psalms know we do. Um, and, and, and you, and we bring, those songs bring it all, right? Uh, but we also find it in the prophets. I mean, Jeremiah, my eyes will, will weep without ceasing, uh, because of the fate of all the young women of my city. You know, uh, uh, just loss and grief, uh, political loss and political grief, exile. Uh, and so, uh, part of what, uh, religious leaders do throughout the scriptures is, is they, um, they express the emotions of the people, uh, uh, um, everything from uh, uh, anger to grief, uh, and it's it, it's a beautiful and powerful thing. Um, now Jesus does a lot to to touch us in our grief, but Jesus doesn't solve all our problems either. I mean, uh, I was thinking before this uh, when I when, when I realized I was talking about grief, I was thinking about um, Jesus uh, uh, missing Lazarus's death. Mm. Uh, and how he arrives there late, and he doesn't see his body go into the grave. Uh, and everybody is weeping, and then he starts to weep. Uh, but, you know, he's late to that grief. Um, and, and it kind of reminded me of how how uh, I feel about my parishioners or, or, or even my friends, um, that I'm sort of finding out about their lives in a much more uh, strange, steps, uh, scattered way now, because I don't see them regularly. Uh, yeah, so, so there's, there's weeping all throughout the scriptures. Uh, even at the resurrection, folks, nobody knew what was going on. Uh, they, were st- <laughs> they were still lamenting right, right. and confused. And, uh, you know, there's this, this, this beautiful image I have um, of like a three-year-old having, a, having like all their feelings all at once. Mm. And, and, you know, how a, mother, how a mother is like just kind of picks them up and loves them and knows that their feelings are not permanent. They will pass. Um, uh, because we don't deal with our feelings very well, we tend to think our feelings will be permanent. Uh, but God knows they will pass. Mm. Um, if, uh, and God is there to hold them with us. Uh, and so uh, well, it's a beautiful thing to be in Christian community grieving together. Just so beautiful. What an honor that we can share that as, as leaders of Christian community. Uh, it's really, really lovely. Thank you for joining us for Being Church in the Time of COVID, a podcast from Princeton Theological Seminary that engages the experiences and insights of pastors, theologians, and rising ministry leaders during the pandemics of 2020. You can learn more about the Reverend Dr. Sonia Waters and Princeton Theological Seminary at ptsem.edu. Thank you for joining us.